Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In today's episode I'm chatting to Michaela about the birth of her daughter Naira. Michaela planned a home birth through the publicly funded midwifery program at her local hospital in Perth. Unfortunately, at a late ultrasound, it was picked up that Naira was measuring on the smaller side and she was no longer cleared to home birth through that program. So Michaela ended up labouring at home with her husband and doula, but delivered in hospital under the care of her MGP midwife. She shares how although Naira's birth was straightforward and there was minimal intervention, she still left feeling disappointed with the experience and struggled for a long time to accept that she didn't get the home birth she had envisaged. I love chatting to Michaela and I'll go ahead and let her share her story. So hi Michaela, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Good, thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be able to share my story. Would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself with the listeners, maybe who's in your family, whereabouts you're living and yeah, how you're spending your time at the moment? Sure. So my name is Michaela. I'm 29 years old and I live in Perth. I'm a primary school teacher, but I am on leave this year with my little girl, Naira, who is seven months old. Um, so I live with my husband, Michael, and of course, our beautiful little Naira. And we have our gorgeous seven-year-old, Rahila Coda as well, who um, just totally loves his little sister. So, yeah. Hmm, beautiful. <laughs> Getting started with Naira's birth story, did you and your partner plan to start a family when you did, or how did you come to the decision to plan a pregnancy? We didn't. <laughs> Far from it, actually. Um, Michael and I were more so planning on taking the child-free path in life when Naira popped up in March last year. So it was definitely quite a surprise, to say the least, when I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> wow. How did, <laughs> yeah. um, how did you feel then when you found out if you weren't planning on having children at all? must have been um, a shock. It was, yeah, definitely a shock. Um my period was late, obviously, um, but we had so much going on at the time that I don't think I, I really realised at first. Um, I'd just come back from a school camp, taking two classes away on school camp, and I'd just started a master's degree a couple of weeks before, so there was so much happening, and I just kept saying to Michael, I'm just stressed, you know, it'll come, don't worry. Um, and eventually, it was eight days late, I think, when we finally did a test. Um, and we walked down to the chemist, I think it was a Saturday morning, and bought some tests. I still hadn't seriously considered that I might actually be pregnant. Um, I was getting cramps and my boobs were sore and I was still absolutely convinced that the test would be negative and I'd get my period the next day and then it was positive. So it was definitely a huge shock. Um, we wouldn't have it any other way now, obviously. I think I've reached a point recently where I can really see the whole thing as a bit of a blessing in disguise. Um, I've really enjoyed my journey into motherhood. I loved being pregnant. I loved giving birth. Um, so now I'm really happy that although this obviously isn't what we thought things would look like right now, life clearly had other plans for us. <laughs> and I'm curious if you're comfortable to answer, given that you weren't planning on having any children, was there 
yeah, was there any time when you felt like maybe it wouldn't, the pregnancy wouldn't be something you'd want to progress with or how, yeah, what were the discussions like if you're happy to share? Um, I, I think especially in the first few days when I was just in absolute panic mode, um, I think it was really comforting to just know that, you know, termination is obviously a safe, you know, legal, accessible thing for us here. Um, and even though obviously we didn't, you know, go down that path, I was really, um, yeah, I guess even now grateful that, that we have that option. Um, but I think even though we didn't plan it, the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Um, we've, you know, both were settled in our careers and we didn't have any travel planned last year. Um, and yeah, we, we had finished renovating our house. So I guess we just thought we'll dive in <laughs> and mm. yeah, I'm obviously glad that we did now, but yeah, it definitely um, was a decision we, we had to make for sure. And we knew that we knew that, you know, we didn't have to continue if that wasn't what we wanted. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, you mentioned that you enjoyed your pregnancy. How, how were you feeling in that first little while? Did you get much morning sickness or any other symptoms come up? Um, I did. I, yeah, had nausea and vomiting probably until about 14 weeks. Um, it was never really, really bad, though. I um, dealt with it pretty well. As I said, I'm, I'm a teacher and it just seemed to come, even though they, you know, everyone says, why do they, you call it morning sickness? It happens all day. Um, I did feel nauseous most of the day, but um, I would only ever vomit in the early morning. So I never really had to worry about it at work or anything. Um, and that was probably probably the worst part I would say was, was that nausea. Um, I, in my second trimester, I was really sick with colds just all the time. I don't know what it was. I just came down with anything that came my way. Um, so that was a bit tricky there, but yeah, I, I had a pretty good pregnancy, kind of had most of the symptoms, I guess, but all, all of them were pretty mild. So yeah, enjoyed it for the most part. Yeah. And yeah, when it came to choosing a care provider, how did you how did you come to the idea that you wanted to have a home birth? Um, we had private maternity cover actually. Um, most of our friends and family members who have had babies have gone through a private obstetrician, so I guess we just had that as a backup. And I I guess we assumed that's what we would do too if I ever did happen to fall pregnant. Um, but I'd also been following some birth pages on Instagram for a few years, despite not planning on giving birth myself. Um, so I'd often see an image pop up of a water birth or a home birth. Um, and I think that kind of planted the seed a little bit. So I definitely knew from the very beginning that I wanted to give birth naturally, maybe without any drugs, that sort of thing. Um, and thankfully I'm definitely someone who puts in a great deal of research before I make a big decision. Um, so I did a lot of reading. We toured a couple of private hospitals and contacted some obstetricians. And I guess also just from hearing the experiences of people we know who've had private obstetricians too, we quickly realised, I guess, that um, that path wasn't going to give us the best chance of having the birth experience that we wanted. So we started looking into other options. Um, and came across the Community Midwifery Program here in Perth. 
um, which is run through King Eddie's, our public maternity hospital here, and it's all all funded um, through Medicare. So we, you know, didn't pay a cent for anything, which is amazing. Um, so the CMP, you have a few options. You can birth at hospital at King Eddie's. I think there are a few others as well. Um, you can birth at the family birth centre, which is attached to King Eddie's too, or at home. So we actually initially went with the family birth centre um, and then later down the track we changed our minds and, yeah, decided to go for a home birth. I think that was about 20 weeks that we made the final decision, even though I think it was kind of, you know, we were thinking about it for a while, but I think 20 weeks was when we said to our midwife, yeah, switch us over. Mm, amazing. That's so good that you had yeah. that, that option available to you and it was you didn't have to decide straight away. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. And yeah, did you did they offer any kind of birth education through the hospital, or, or how did you sort of prepare? I mean, it sounds like you're a bit of a planner like me, but um, <laughs> yeah, what sort of preparation did you do leading up to the birth to kind of help you prepare for your natural birth at home? So the CMP did offer some classes. Um, we only did one with them, which was actually a breastfeeding class. Um, but we had a doula as well, the beautiful Helena Hentz, and um, we did our hypnobirthing course with her. So, yeah, that was, I guess, the, the only um, formal childbirth education we did. Um, and I think we started that ooh, probably around 25 weeks, I would say, and that was um, at her house, um, and we had another another two couples doing that with us as well um so that was that was really great and I also just read a bunch of books I read Sarah Buckley um Ina May Gaskin and Juju Sundin as well and another couple I listened to podcasts so I definitely felt very prepared to give birth excited to give birth um yeah very ready mm, amazing and yeah heading into the labor how was that kind of last week prior to birth and were there many signs of things getting started before you went into labour? Not for a while. I ended up going to 41 plus 4. So I guess I was quite late um, in the medical (laughs) way of looking at things. Um, And, yeah, nothing – I stopped work at 38 weeks, um, so I had had a while. Nothing was really happening until – I think the day I turned 41 weeks, which was a Sunday, and I was getting starting to get a few contractions that were waking me up um, in the early hours of the morning, and then they sort of fizzle off, you know, around 5 a.m., and I'd go back to sleep and just wake up and everything would be normal again. Um, I'd had Braxton Hicks throughout my pregnancy from about 26 weeks, and so getting towards the end, they probably just got more painful and were lasting longer. Um, so, yeah, that they were just definitely waking me up a lot in the early mornings. But apart from that, really nothing. Like I was still walking down the beach every day, having a swim in the middle of summer, so that was perfect. So, I, yeah, nothing, was, nothing much was happening at all, to be honest, in that last week. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned you had to go into hospital. Was that just for a bit of a check-up because you were um, getting towards 42 weeks or...? Yeah, so King Eddie's want you to go in at 41 weeks for an ultrasound and a CTG. 
just to, I guess, check that everything's fine and if it is, they will clear you to 42 weeks so that the maximum gestation um, allowed for a home birth with the CMP is 42 weeks. So we went in on the Monday. Um, I think then I was 41 weeks in one day and we had the CTG and the ultrasound, um, which, you know, were fine. The, the sonographer seemed really happy. Um, Naira was perfectly happy in there and her position was great. Um, and we were in there for so long. And one of the doctors eventually came in and said to us that the ultrasound had showed um, that Naira's, there was a measurement, her abdominal circumference, I think it was, was um, or maybe on the 10th percentile. And that, that meant they then classed her as small for gestational age. So unfortunately, she then said to us, um, we weren't at that moment, she wasn't happy with us still being cleared for home birth. But she she was she was really nice about it. She said, um, you know, that's just me saying that. So come back um, later on and meet with the obstetrician who kind of oversees the home birth program and chat with her and, you know, then she'll let you know some more. So we went away and actually called our midwife, Melita, from the CMP um, and had a chat to her and she was like, oh, my gosh, you've been there all day. Don't go back. I'll sort this out. Um, so we just went home and she, um, yeah, rang us later on and gave us the sad news that they wouldn't clear us, unfortunately. Um, she had fought as hard as she could. She was amazing. But obviously, in the end, the obstetricians have the final say. So that was pretty, um, pretty devastating, obviously. And that, that was the Monday. I just, you know, was inconsolable for the, the rest of that day and that night. Um, and I guess the next morning as well, we woke up, had a few more big cries. And eventually I just said to myself, you know, you still have to give birth sometime in the next few days. Like, you know, you've got to pull it together and kind of focus on that that a bit more now. So um, we did a couple of things just to kind of, I guess, move on a little bit from the day before I um, we sat down and repacked the hospital bag, which I guess I just kind of thrown together with that much thought, thinking it would just be a backup. So we repacked that, put in everything we'd, we'd want in there and... Um, we also, obviously, we had our, our beautiful birthing space set up at home, so we reorganised that, um, you know, so I could still use it in labour. And um, also the obstetrician had said to Melita that she actually wanted us to come in on the Tuesday and be induced. So um, we, yeah, had a talk about that, but... I just thought there's no way that's happening. Um, you know, Naira was perfectly healthy, even though she was a little bit small, perfectly healthy on the ultrasound and the CTG. So we were happy to decline that and just keep waiting. Um, so, yeah, we did those couple of things just to re kind of refresh refresh things, get our minds back in the game. Um, and, yeah, just kept waiting for things to happen. Mm, amazing. So you were 41 and 5 when you went into labour, is that right? Um 
So 41 of four when I had Nara on the Thursday and we went into labour on the Wednesday. Oh, yeah. So we had to go back into King Eddie's um, on the Wednesday because we had declined the induction. Um, they wanted us to just come back every couple of days and have a CTG, so just some monitoring to check that everything was fine. So we did that um, and I actually had a stretch and sweep that day as well, which initially wasn't something that I wanted to do, but I guess... Um, there was just so much pressure within, you know, them recommending induction and, you know, I guess being being that overdue as well, I kind of wanted things to get started as well. So we actually met Melita in the Family Birth Centre that day and had a stretch and sweep there. And I don't know if it was if it was that or I was ready anyway. Like I said, I'd sort of been having on and off contractions since the Sunday anyway. Um, so things really kicked off that afternoon um, pretty much straight away on the way home from the hospital. Um, I was getting pretty pretty strong contractions in the car. So um, we came home, I had a little bit of lunch and um, yeah, just spent the afternoon in the living room on the Fitball, um, watching Jane the Virgin, I think. <laughs> um, and I obviously wasn't taking any of it in because I think I, I re-watched it a couple of months later and I was like, no, I need to watch it all again. I don't remember any of this. Um, so yeah, we just kind of stayed at home. Um, we went down to the beach for a walk that afternoon or the evening. Um, and our, our beach down the road, there's a lot of stairs going down to it. So I was just walking up and down the stairs and it was the end of school as well. Um, so there were all these high school kids down at the beach, this big high school, bunch of high school kids celebrating, I guess the end of their school year and I was just leaning against rocks having a contraction and kind of getting down on all fours in the sand every couple of minutes they were just looking at me wondering what was going on um, but I couldn't have cared less at all actually um, so yeah that was a really nice walk that we did and um, then yeah we came home I actually had some soup for dinner and I think that was probably the last thing that I ate for a while um, and I just, yeah, laboured at home, used the fitball. Uh, Michael was great. He just, you know, had me up moving around, made sure I wasn't staying in one one place for too long. Um, one of my best memories actually was um, in between contractions, he'd have me up like kicking the fitball around with the dog in the bedroom and Coda would be kicking it back with his nose and so mm. we definitely tried to have a bit of fun as well. Um, and I think Melita, our um, midwife, and Helena were kind of keeping in touch with me um, throughout the night as well. And we called Helena, I think about 10 p.m. And she said, cool, I think I'll see you in the morning. And then a couple of hours later, I said to Michael, I want you to call her back. Like, this is getting pretty serious now. Um, and so he called, called her back about midnight and she listened to me have a few contractions over the phone and sort of said, all right, I think I'll come up now. Um, so she came up around 1 a.m. and um, she was just beautiful. She set up this this beautiful um, kind of nest on my bed with a beanbag and pillows and I just leant forward into it and actually had a bit of sleep then. Um, my contractions sort of slowed down. They'd been maybe every five minutes up until that point for a while and I think they slowed down to about every eight minutes for a couple of hours and I just had a bit of sleep between them which was really nice um, and Michael even 
actually went and had a bit of a sleep for a couple of hours too while um, Helena was taking beautiful care of me. Um, and yeah, eventually the contractions um, began becoming more regular again and I then hopped in the shower and pretty much didn't get out of the shower then until until we left for the hospital. Um, so mm -hmm. Melita and Helena, they worked together all the time, um, doing home births, that sort of thing. So they were keeping in touch. So that was that was one of the great things about, about having Helena. She kind of kept in touch with Melita and we didn't have to stress about, you know, when to go to the hospital. They were sort of, yeah, um, making that decision for us, I guess, and making sure that we didn't go too early. Were you using any of your hypnobirthing methods during that labour when you were still at home? Yes, I think so. I think I was mainly the breathing, I suppose, um, and definitely the soft touch massage, that sort of thing um, from Michael was just amazing. Um, I was having, actually, I had a lot of back pain, um, and so I had Michael and Helena just absolutely digging their thumbs into my back and I had bruises and blisters on my lower back for about two <laughs> weeks afterwards from that because they just couldn't press hard enough. Um, and when actually when Naira was born, Melita thought she'd been a little bit posterior, so that would kind of make sense. But yeah, that was that was pretty intense. Um, but I actually used a lot of the skills from Juju Sundin's book. Um, that was probably the single most helpful resource I would say in terms of actually coping with the pain in labour. Um, I was kind of moving my weight from foot to foot in the shower, um, tapping my nails on the tiles in the shower and also I remember reading in her book kind of blowing the pain away. I was, you know, visualising blowing the shower tiles away. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really helpful. But, yeah, a little bit of my hypnobirthing, I think that came in more, I guess, just in my approach, approach to, to my birth and feeling pretty fearless and prepared with, you know, all of the knowledge that I had from, from that course. Um, but, yeah, definitely with the breathing and the massage, that helped a lot. And at what point um, sort of did you feel like you needed to go to hospital or did your doula suggest that maybe it was time for you guys to leave? Yeah, I think we just made a decision all together um, and we left about 8 a.m., I think. Um, I'd been absolutely dreading the trip. It was about 40 minutes um, and I guess up until a couple of days before, I thought it wasn't something that I would have to um, endure. But honestly, it actually wasn't all that bad in the end. Um, Michael lent the front seat back, so I was just on all fours on the front seat with a pillow, my head in a pillow, and Michael had my hypnobirthing affirmations running through the speakers. And, yeah, I just um, kept having contractions regularly through the drive. I never I, – I didn't look up. I didn't want to know where we were. Um, and, yeah, we were there before I knew it. So the drive wasn't all too bad. Um, and we parked pretty close and up. I, I, quite a quite a fun memory actually to look back and think of all the contractions I had from the car up to the birth suite. Um, I, I had one against a tree near the car, and then you know another couple on the way in, one in the lift. Um, and there was there was I think a male doctor in the lift. He's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I'm fine." And then another one um, just at the reception 
of the um, labour and birth suites and like the waiting room and the people in the reception were looking on, like giving me an encouraging smile as I kind of was on the floor all fours. Um, so they're kind of like happy memories, <laughs> I guess, funny memories. Um, yeah, little yeah. trail, little yeah, trail exactly. of contractions up to your room. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I kind of assumed that we would have to go through some sort of admissions process. Um, so I thought we'd kind of go into one of those assessment rooms and talk to a doctor and have to decline, you know, examinations and cannulas and monitoring and all of that. But I think being with the CMP, um, we were just automatically admitted with Melita, who was already there, so she'd been setting the room up. So Helena, who'd driven there before us, she actually met us at the reception and took us straight through to the room, um, which I think is sort of, the room is sort of set aside for the CMP, not used all that much. It was actually really big. There was a, a nice view. Um, and I got in there and I think I just said, like, oh, this isn't so bad. Um, and that's kind of like the last time I think I was conscious of, you know, what was going on around me. Um, I pretty much stripped off and hopped straight in the shower and that was kind of it. I was, yeah, in, in the zone that everybody talks about. It was that there were no windows in the bathroom. Um, so we had a totally dark except for a little salt lamp. And um, Melita and Helena kind of just left us alone. And um, Michael had the water on my back. I was still, still having horrific back pain at that point. Um, and I just kind of was swaying um, between contractions and then I would squat down um, when I got a contraction and hold on to the bar um, and definitely was, was vocalising quite loudly by that point um, and still using still using a lot of the um, skills from the Juju Sundin book then as well. Um, yeah, so I think that was definitely transition at that point. Um, it was, yeah, I, I, I would describe it as almost like a beautiful time in my labour where I just wasn't really, just had no idea or didn't care about anything happening around me um, and I was just cared for so beautifully as well. Um, sipping water, people would bring me water all the time um, and I really just, it was just me, you know. I just feel like I was the only one who could who could get me through that hour or so. Um, yeah, and eventually... Um, I think after, yeah, after about an hour, I then tried sitting on the toilet for a while um, and I sat backwards on the toilet with just a pillow there resting and that was a really, really calm time. Um, I was just breathing really slowly and I remember saying to Helena, I can feel, we knew, we knew Naira was a girl, I was saying like I can feel her moving down um, and I just kind of relaxed for a bit, I think transition was just this really wild ride and then then I just got some time to to chill and be calm for a bit and at that point um two obstetricians came in um so because they had classed Naira as small for gestational age they recommended that we had constant monitoring during labor and I had declined that so they had to come in and just I guess, explain um, why they wanted to do constant monitoring and the risks of not doing it, et cetera. Um, and, you know, they were actually quite lovely. They weren't really pushy or anything. Um, they wanted me to have an examination as well. 
which I declined to. And quite funny, actually, looking through my notes um, that I, I got back from King Eddie's, they've written, those two obstetricians have kind of written written about their interactions with me and they've said um, Michaela has, has attended the labour and birth suite, supposedly in active labour. And I'm like, that, they saw me an hour before I had my baby. Like, I'm pretty sure I was very clearly in labour by that point, but because I, I didn't want an examination, they couldn't possibly establish that I was I was in labour. But they were they were quite nice and kind of didn't push me or, yeah, they were happy for me to just keep going with Melita um, and doing the intermittent monitoring. So, yeah, they um, that was kind of the only, I guess, interruption that I had um, and, yeah, then they were gone and I stayed on the toilet for a while. Um, and I think it was just amazing having Helena and Melita because they really made sure I didn't, I guess, get stuck in one place. And I think if I didn't have them, I just would have kind of found one position and stayed there. Um, they kept reminding me, like, all right, get up and move or, you know, whatever else. So um, Melita set up a little... Um, area on the floor of the room with a fit ball and a mattress and all of that. So I moved there and um, I was just leaning over the fit ball there for a while and that's when my body really started to push a little bit. And I remember in our classes, Helena telling telling us that, um, you know, 90% of first-time mums make this this really, you know, wild animalistic noise when they, their body starts pushing and, you um, I was making that noise and I remember thinking, this is the noise, this is it, like she's coming. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that was crazy to sort of feel feel what was happening. Um, and, yeah, that went, went on for a little while, a few minutes, and Melita then kind of started to suspect maybe I had a bit of a cervical lip. Um, so she wanted to check that and I consented to that. So she, yeah, I don't really recall recall that happening. Um, I don't have much of a memory of that, but Michael <laughs> says it was pretty painful. Um, yeah, so she did that and from there kind of everything just happened in a bit of a, a blur, I guess. Um, a couple of minutes after my water broke and I don't know whether that was kind of because um, Melita had gone in to fix the cervical lip or it would have happened anyway, but there was meconium in the water. So um, that kind of changed things a little bit. And Melita said, you know, we should probably have constant monitoring now, um, which I was totally fine with. And I think that was the best thing about, I guess, having a care provider who I built a relationship with and who I trusted because I sort of knew that if she kind of recommended something, then, you know, I believed her and I trusted her and I didn't have to then think in my head, is this the right thing or, you know, whatever else. I kind of knew that she had our best interests at heart. Um, so we, yeah, we did the constant monitoring. Unfortunately, she couldn't find the wireless monitor. So I had to get up on the bed um, and, yeah, I just hopped up there. Um, and after all that, I don't think it really actually worked in the end. I just remember someone trying to get this monitor on me, trying to get it to work, and in the videos of, of me actually pushing her out that I didn't even have a monitor on, so I don't even know what really happened with it in the end. Um, but, yeah, I was pushing on all fours on the bed for a little while, and not much was really happening, I don't think, um, and eventually I kind of just turned over, and I think I was yeah, pushing probably 10, 10, 15 minutes on my back there and she was born. Um, 
her head obviously came out and I had a really good feel of her head, which is just the wildest feeling ever, um, feeling, you know, her head there and the rest of her body still to come. And that was really cool. And then, yeah, then she was born. The rest of her just shot out in on the next contraction. Um, there was, because she had the meconium, Melita had to call a paediatrician to be present at the birth. And she'd sort of, as I was pushing, she'd sort of said to me, um, if she comes out and she doesn't cry straight away, we'll have to kind of cut the cord and and give her straight to the, to the paediatrician. And it's funny, in my head I was thinking like, no, no, that's not happening. Don't cut the cord. Whatever you need to do to her, you can do on me. And I just couldn't, could not verbalise those thoughts. I couldn't get it out. Um, but thankfully everything was fine. She cried as soon as she came out. Um, so, yeah, we didn't didn't have to do that. And the paediatrician was great. She was like, cool, see you later as soon as Naira cried and she she left the room. Um, yeah, so then she was there. Mm. And and was Michael able to catch her or did did your midwife catch her? Sadly not. And that was that's a little bit of a sore point for me. I really wanted one of us to catch her. Um, but I think it was just all so rushed, you know, in the last stages because of the meconium and everything that, yeah, Melita ended up catching her, but that, you know, that was fine. Um, yeah, so she just came straight to my chest um, and I just kept saying like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, and after about 30 seconds of just being in in shock and disbelief that it was over and we'd done it, I kind of realised there was a baby there and looked down and, um, yeah, I couldn't believe she was finally there. Mm, amazing. Such a... yeah. It's such an undescribable moment, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And just the videos, Helena was taking um, lots of pictures and videos of, of those moments and it's so special to look back on just, you know, those first couple of minutes of, of having her on my chest and my face is or my, my chin is just covered in blood because I was kissing her so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty magical. <laughs> Mm, beautiful. And yeah. did you, um, were you able to have your delayed cord clamping that you wanted then? Yeah. Um, so we didn't cut the cord for almost an hour, I think. Um, I never actually had or never felt at least um, any more contractions coming on to birth the placenta. And we had planned on a natural third stage, so we didn't, um, didn't want the injection. And, yeah, it just just wasn't coming so after about 50 minutes um obviously like that hour um point is when they they like it to to have come so about 50 minutes later Melita kind of said how about we just get up and try and sit on the toilet for a while so we did that I hobbled over and um Michael cut the cord there and he took Naira and yeah the the placenta finally finally came out on the toilet I think I was just so hesitant I'd had a tiny little tear and um everything was just so tender that I really didn't want to push again. Um, but, yeah, eventually eventually that came out and, yeah, that was all fine. So I was really, really happy that we didn't have to um, have the managed third stage. Um, yeah, so Michael had a bit of skin to skin and I think, think I maybe had a bit of a shower 
funny, like I was walking to and from the shower and everyone was busy doing things. Michael had um, Naira and Helena was taking photos of them and Melita was kind of cleaning things up and I'm walking to and from the shower and I was thinking in my head, like, everybody thinks I'm fine and I can like walk to and from the shower, but I don't think I can, like I'm feeling so weak and um, yeah, I just felt, felt a little bit like shaky and everything. I guess I hadn't really eaten. Um, actually, I didn't, I didn't mention before I'd left for the hospital, I did try and eat some breakfast and I just, after the first bite of whatever it was, a date, I think I just completely vomited everywhere. Um, so, you know, I think my stomach was so empty and I, yeah, just had a bit of a crash and felt really, really weak straight afterwards. Um, but yeah, that was that was a really beautiful time. Then she came came back to me and kept feeding. She fed pretty much straight away after birth. Within about 15 minutes, um, we'd done the breast crawl and everything, so that was really great. Um, and had some lunch. Um, and yeah, we kind of just stayed there for a few hours, I guess, in that room. Um, Melita eventually went home. I don't I think it was actually her day to work, so she left after about an hour and a half. And um, another lovely CMP midwife came to look after us um, and I think her name was Sarah and she um, was finding that my uterus wasn't kind of shrinking back to where it was supposed to go and it was because my bladder was too full but I was really struggling to empty it and um, I think what had happened was everyone was just keeping me so hydrated during labor, which was amazing, but I really don't remember going to the bathroom all that much. So I think I just, it was just really overstretched and, you know, things weren't, I guess, working as they should. Um, so she wanted to, Sarah wanted to put a catheter in and obviously I wasn't really keen on that. I was, I just said to her, like, I just need to relax, just give me a bit more time. Um, so yeah, we just, left it for a little bit. Um, because we'd had the meconium, they wanted us to stay for 12 hours just to just to keep um, an eye on Naira, make sure she, I mean, she hadn't, you know, inhaled any or anything like that and she was totally fine. But we, yeah, decided to just, just stay for those 12 hours. Um, so we went up to the ward. So she was born, we got to the hospital about nine and she was born at 11.18. Um, and then I think we went up to the ward about two and yeah, I was still, I still, um, couldn't urinate. So they ended up, I think we put the catheter in about seven, 7 PM. And, um, you know, obviously that's not fun, but it, you know, worked a treat in the end. They wanted it in for 24 hours and, you know, I didn't have to get up to pee at night. So, you know, that was a pretty, pretty much a dream after pregnancy. Um, but yeah, that, that worked fine. So obviously that meant we, we had to stay the night then, um, and through the next day. So, um, that was in for 24 hours. And then, um, yeah, we came out 7 p.m. the next night. And by then it was, you know, too late to kind of discharge us. So we stayed a second night. And the plan was obviously to go home in the morning. Um, and then throughout that night, um, obviously the midwives were coming in and doing observations all the time. And one of them thought Naira looked a bit jaundiced. So um, they did a few tests. She had like three heel pricks, the poor thing. It was totally traumatic. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so they she was a bit jaundiced and they wanted her under the lights. 
So um, she went under the lights about 4 a.m. on the second, our second night there, and they wanted her under for 12 hours. So, we, yeah, she stayed under until 4 p.m., which, you know, looking back, um, I guess maybe I would have done things differently um, and discharged us both, like, you know, before we stayed the second night or I don't know, but it's obviously I can only say all of those things now, having the gift of hindsight um, and knowing our CMP midwives who were visiting us at home sort of said to us, oh, if she was had that level of jaundice at home, we wouldn't have sent you to hospital, like she's fine. Um, but, you know, that's kind of, I was, you know, two or three days postpartum and didn't really know what was going on and, yeah. So we ended up staying three nights and she was she was fine in the end and then we came home on Sunday eventually. And did your milk come in while you were still in hospital? Yeah, yeah. So that was really, really quick to happen actually. I think it was about 48 hours um, and, and my milk came in. Um, yeah, so she was really sleepy in the beginning, I guess, with the jaundice as well. Um, so we were kind of expressing colostrum and giving it to her in a syringe a lot of the time and trying to feed, obviously, as, as much as we could as well. Um, and we, for the first, um, she lost a fair bit of weight, actually not more than 10%, but she it just took her a while to put weight back on, put the weight back on. Um, and so we were pumping and topping her up for a while, I think, yeah, for nine days we were doing that. But, um, yeah, we stopped that pretty quickly and we've had a really successful breastfeeding journey so far. Um, yeah, so that's been really enjoyable, pretty stress-free, thankfully. Yeah, but mm. that, yeah, that happened really quickly, actually. Yeah. And uh, how much did she end up weighing when she was born? So she was 3.155 kilos. <laughs> So yeah. not small at all, really, obviously yeah. on the smaller side of, of things, but definitely not, you know, underweight or, or anything like that. Um, and she coped really well, really well with birth. So, you know, that's, that was pretty hard to swallow, you know, the fact that she was a healthy weight, a healthy baby. Um, we both, you know, did an awesome job um, at giving birth. So, yeah, it was, pre it was pretty hard to kind of accept that, that um, that had all happened and, you know, she was perfectly healthy in the end. But, you know, I, I can't, I need to think more positively than that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, yeah, immediately after birth how you were feeling about, about the change and having to end up giving birth in hospital and then how your feelings changed kind of as time passed and, and yeah, where you're at with it now. Yeah, so the first few days I think I was just, you know, really riding that oxytocin high and I felt amazing about giving birth and so empowered and I had absolutely loved it. I think I even sent Melita a message on, you know, maybe the third day and I, I said, you know, I'm still processing everything but none of my feelings are negative. You know, I absolutely loved giving birth. Thank you so much. Um, so I was feeling pretty good about everything um, early on and I guess, you know, having a newborn baby doesn't leave a lot of room for, for thinking about much else. And it wasn't until probably maybe two or three months down the track that it kind of really hit me a little bit. Um, and, 
yeah, that was pretty hard. And I think, well, I hope at least, that I kind of maybe reached the lowest point about four or five months postpartum. Um, I was really seeking a lot of answers and um, I can, you know, maybe see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel now. Um, but, yeah, that was it's definitely a really, really hard few months. Um, I spoke with a perinatal counsellor when I was probably about four and a half months postpartum just to um, – she offers – she's a hypnobirthing educator, I think a former doula as well um, – and she offers just a birth debriefing. So you kind of just spend two hours going through everything with her and, um, and you know, you can have further counselling if you want to, but I just, you know, spent those couple of hours. And she sort of said to me, like, it's very clear to me that you're grieving. Um, you know, you're obviously grieving the loss of the birth experience that you wanted, um, grieving the loss of control that you had as well. And she sort of seem to think, you know, from her very brief interactions with me that I'm quite an achievement-focused person. And she sort of said to me, having a home birth was an achievement for you. You know, like you've done your research. To you, that was how birth was, you know, supposed to be or your birth was supposed to be. And because it didn't happen that way, you've lost that achievement. You feel like, you know, you haven't achieved anything. And that was that was true, as sad as it is. Like I'd had this I'd given birth, I, you know, had done it with no drugs, no barely any interventions, and I still didn't feel like I'd achieved anything. I didn't feel proud of myself, you know, and that was that was obviously at the lowest point. I sort of feel feel a bit of pride and positivity sneaking in now. Um, but that was that was pretty hard and definitely um, it's hard not to think of all the what ifs as well. <laughs> um, you know, anyone I guess who whose birth doesn't go to plan probably um, has those what if sniggling at them? Um, you know, what if I tried to find a private midwife at the last minute? What if I'd had a private midwife all along? What if I'd eaten more and maybe she would have been bigger at that ultrasound? What if she'd come a few days earlier? What if I'd pre birthed at the last minute? Um, so it's hard not to think about all of those, but I also have to remind myself I'm only thinking of those things because, you know, I. I'm now, I've given birth now, I've had that experience, I know that it all went fine um, and, you know, I'm not stuck in those few days where it was just absolutely crazy trying to, you know, deal with the emotions of being so overdue as well as the emotions of, you know, having such a big change of plans. Um, yeah, so trying not to think of the shoulds and the what ifs um, and I think I'm, maybe slowly coming out the other side um, and seeing things a little more positively now, which is good. Um, and I'm just giving myself time as well. I think when I reached those lowest points, I was really frustrated that I kind of was still feeling that way and thinking I should kind of be over it, I guess, um, by now. And I reached out to a few people and they sort of said, you're only four months postpartum, like, takes a long time to process a birth experience, even if it all goes to plan. So just be patient with yourself. And one of the things that really, really helped me was saying to myself, how I feel about this now isn't going to be how I feel about this forever. One day I will sort of be able to see this differently. I'm just 
just dealing with this for now. Um, and I, I think I really believe that now. I can sort of see, like I said, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. So hopefully things are looking up a little bit now. Yeah, it's such a big journey regardless of kind of how your birth went. Things can come up at any time to kind of change how you're feeling and things that need to be processed can come up, you know, for months and probably years. Yeah. I don't know yet, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I imagine so. 100%, yeah. I'm wondering, do you feel like maybe you put extra pressure on yourself to have this exact home birth experience because it's it might be your only child? I mean, I don't know if you are planning on having more, but do you think that was part of it? I, I mean, I would love another one. Only, you know, I, I definitely want Naira to have a sibling and I've kind of, you know, really surprised myself by, you know, loving motherhood as much as I do. Um, I, you know, as as much as, you know, everything, all the plans had to change. Um, I did love giving birth and I'd love to do it again. I loved the newborn stage. I love breastfeeding. Um, so I definitely would love to go on that journey again. But yeah, I think there was definitely a lot of, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself, regardless of whether it was, you know, because I thought it might be my only chance of, of giving birth. But it's definitely um, made me think about how I would approach planning a second um, in terms of home birth. And I think I, you know, I said to Michael, look, we definitely need to wait until I can, you know, definitively say I'm okay if this kind of, doesn't go to plan again <laughs> because I think, you know, I would be just totally crushed if if I, you know, planned a second home birth and then I guess it didn't happen. That's how I feel now anyway. So I think I need to get to a point for sure where I can um, say I'm okay if, you know, if we end up in the hospital again. So, but we'll approach things differently next time for sure. Probably um, go with a private midwife so that King Eddie's, um, I guess, yeah, doesn't have the final say over yeah. over what we do. Um, yeah, yeah, but definitely a lot of pressure. On myself. <laughs> yeah, it can be really hard to hard to let go if you've got strong expectations and um, yeah, and I mean I'm I'm the same. I'm a bit prone to planning and and doing heaps of research and it's yeah, it's easy to build up a picture in your mind of exactly how things are going to look and and get disappointed and yeah. social media and. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful, you know, following on these accounts on Instagram and Facebook and seeing all the beautiful births and people having birth photographers and sharing their stories. But it can almost be, um, yeah, I guess it's important to try to remember that that's just a little, I mean, like everything that's posted on social media, it's snippets that people want to yes. share. And it's Absolutely. the good bits and the success stories and um, and and even you know, it's just specific moments out of that, moments where women look good during labour or, you know, newborns are really cute. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really messy and things don't go to plan and it's so, yeah, it's it's so different to what you see there. And I think, I guess, once you've experienced it once, that, that understanding is there and hopefully, hopefully it's easier next time to um, be prepared for, for anything. Yeah, and that's why I just love your podcast so much. Like I said to you in my emails, um, listening to the stories by not everything went to plan, you know, has really helped me make sense of, of my own feelings too um, and, you know, made me feel like I'm not alone and this happens to other people as well. So that's been really helpful. So I'm so grateful, you know, that you um, are happy to share those stories on your podcast where, you know, 
um, things didn't end in end in a home birth um, in the end. So yeah, I think that's really valuable to have those stories too. And I have struggled, you know, to see those photos on Instagram since my own birth, and you know, that sort of triggered my grief a little bit, I guess. Um, and I've considered whether maybe I need to have a bit of a break from following those pages. I haven't yet, but but maybe I'll go down that path eventually just for a few months and just see how it goes. But, yeah, definitely, like you say, I think we need to share these stories as well so people are more prepared, I suppose. <laughs> mm, uh, and yeah, so lovely to hear you say that because that's the exact reason why I started this was, I, yeah, felt like, um, I guess, all the information when I was kind of trying to make a decision about whether or not to have a home birth, all the information I could find was really, yeah, it was just all positive and all about beautiful, calm, silent hypnobirths or mm. orgasmic births and just huge collections and books filled with positive, successful home birth stories. And I just went, yeah, that's definitely not real. So like <laughs> as somebody who like statistics and numbers and um, mm -hmm. feels like I need you know statistics basically to make an informed decision that didn't yeah. really sit right with me and I wanted to create something which as much as possible has a more is a more accurate kind of reflection of all the different wide range of experiences that can happen and um, I think that's a really I mean there's value in both but I think it's a really important part of preparing for birth and um, being prepared in advance to be accepting of more different scenarios that can play out. Mm. Absolutely. I, like I said to you, I think um, previously when I was pregnant, we got to know um, four other women who were planning home births for the CMP at the same time. And out of the five of us, obviously, including me, only one had a home birth in the end. So I think, yeah that definitely says a lot about the state of things, but also, you know, hearing these stories would be so valuable for so many, so many women who, you know, maybe like Mia are just kind of suffering um, or feeling disappointment after their birth. And I guess just going through that alone and thinking, yeah, everyone else had these perfect births and mine didn't look like that. Um, so yeah, thanks for, for sharing all these stories. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It was a beautiful birth story and um yeah I'm so glad to be to be part of the processing and um part of that ongoing journey for you and accepting how things happened and potentially potentially being prepared for another birth it was yeah, yeah really lovely yeah. oh thanks so much Indy <laughs> that's all right thank you so much for tuning into today's episode um, you can head over to Instagram to see some beautiful photos of Michaela and Naira. That's at keepbirthwild.podcast. And if you're listening in every week, don't forget to click subscribe so you get notified when a new episode is published and leave a star rating or review if you can. I would love to know your thoughts on the show, what you're enjoying and anything you'd like to hear more of. And I look forward to bringing you another episode next week.